0: Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years, maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Where are you from? Often, what you eat will reveal your origins, but sometimes life's travels introduces new flavors to your palate that belie your upbringing. Anne Lou discovered her love of restaurants at the age of 15 when she first began working the line. When Katrina blew Anne and her Vietnamese family to Portland, she became a pioneer of Viet Cajun cuisine, an amalgamation of her Vietnamese and Louisiana heritage. Vishwish Bhatt discovered an incredible commonality between the Indian food of his childhood in Gujarat and the southern cuisine he came to love in Oxford, Mississippi, a topic he explores in his book, I Am From Here. And we sit down with Jackie Blanchard to learn how a Bayou girl came to open an authentic Japanese izukaya right here on Oak Street in the Crescent City. Wherever you're from, we're glad you're here for this week's Louisiana Eats.
1: My name is Anne Lou. I am the executive chef at the Bywater Brew Pub.
0: After honing her culinary skills in her native New Orleans, chef Anne Lou first made a name for herself in Portland, Oregon. At her restaurant, Tapalaya, Anne melded together the flavors of Southeast Asia and Louisiana to create her signature Viet Cajun menus. In 2015, she drew national attention for her winning appearance on the Food Network show, Chopped. The following year, she was singled out by Eater as one of the nation's top young guns, an award given to rising stars in the culinary world. In 2019, Chef Ann returned to New Orleans and is now turning heads as executive chef at Bywater Brew Pub. She joined us in the studio to tell us about her journey from New Orleans to Portland and back home again. Ann began by discussing her childhood, growing up in a family who emigrated to the U.S. from Vietnam seven years before she was born at Charity Hospital in 1986.
1: Oh, my childhood was wonderful. Um, I grew up with two siblings. They were much older than me. Um, my brother was 10 years older than me, and my sister was 15. I was the baby, so it was, they were grown up by the time I was, like, in middle school and high school. Um, but I grew up with my cousins who—it um, my it was my dad's younger sister— My family and their family came over from Vietnam together. So it was really a lot of, you know, kids. We had a pool. My uncle was a fisherman. He brought seafood over every weekend. We would have barbecues. And my mom would make incredible food. She cooked us dinner from scratch every single night. I feel like a lot of my cooking career has been infused by her just memories of cooking Like, she was always working on something, no matter what time of day it was. It was like she would spend all day making lunch and then making dinner, and she would be the first to wake up and make breakfast. And she was always working on some kind of project, like something that she didn't normally make but decided to have a hand at it, you know? (laughs) Well,
0: you know, your mom being from Vietnam Mm -hmm. and being here in Louisiana, was she starting to do a little...
1: Via cajun thing on her own? Yeah. um, Just living here, she didn't stop cooking the food of her country, but um, she really took to loving um, red beans and rice and gumbo. She loved – those were her two favorite – Cajun dishes, um, but you know she would use what what she had in her kitchen for salt flavoring, or you know, like we would use fish sauce instead of salt, or we would use lime instead of lemon, or we would use a lot more ginger if we didn't have any garlic or something. Like it was a lot of substitutions that come naturally to me now, but just kind of happened around me when I was growing up, you know, and I I didn't realize how much of it I had infused in myself. And you knew from a
0: very early age Mm -hmm. that this is what you wanted to do. And you started working in New Orleans restaurants when you were just 15.
1: Yeah, it was a restaurant called Vaquero's. Um, I worked at the one on Metairie Road. Um, It was... Gosh, it was a, a different time back then. I don't think high school kids could do what I was doing <laughs> when I was in high school. I had a car. I drove myself to work. I was a line cook at Vaquero's when I was a junior in high school. And then once you were in that kitchen, you felt at home and you knew you were in the right place? Um, you know, not, not right away. It's really hard to learn how to work in a kitchen, especially if you're a, a teenager. I was a little girl, and there were, like, old, gruff men working the line, you know? And they were like, I don't want to work with this little girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in high school. I was, like, waking up to go to high school every day, too, and working the line and closing the kitchen at night. And then, like, going to the bar next door and eating a baked potato after work. Oscars. Woo. <laughs> you know? huh <laughs> And then I moved on to pizza making at the Cafe Roma and managing when I was like 20. I was like managing a pizza place. Um, And then for the last few years before I moved to Portland, I was working at Giacomo's and Krabby Jack's in the front of the house and kind of earning some money to move away that way.
0: What an interesting
2: path
1: that... That is. and It was. (laughs) So your family goes on to Portland, but you come back to New Orleans? Mm -hmm. Well, 19 is when Katrina hit. And then I didn't move to Portland until I was like, I want to say 22. I wasn't ready to leave the city or be, be in another city yet. I wasn't done. I was, you know, working in restaurants and stuff when the hurricane hit. And I when you're from here and you're born here it's just you wear it like a badge of honor and i wasn't going to just leave i don't know i i i had to try to make it work here for a little bit and it was great i i i spent a year at louisiana tech and then i was like no thank you <laughs> i i need to go back to new orleans <laughs> I had fun while it lasted, but it was not a place for me. It was very um, Uh homogenous. And I was probably the only Asian person. No, one of like two Asian people in the whole university. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, I got to get out of here and go back home and just feel like I was at home. And, you know, now that I think about it, there was a lot of struggle to feel at home for a long time, even after I'd moved to Portland and settled. I mean, it took me like years to be feeling like it was home, you know? It's really, um, it was so unsettling. And I I can only imagine how unsettling it must
0: have been for your parents, Mm -hmm. because they fled Vietnam and came here
1: and made a good life for themselves. And then they had to flee again. It was tough. My dad was already kind of of retirement age. And The shop that I grew up in, my dad owned a TV repair shop out on Chef Highway for, gosh, a long time, up until 2005. Um, They had it before I was born in 86. So they had it for a long time. And uh, he would have, like, if if that storm didn't happen, he would have stayed working in that until, like, his hands didn't work anymore, you know. So it's kind of, you know, good that that he stopped. Um, But I mean, we lived there for the first few few years of my life above the business in like a two bedroom little apartment. And my mom would still cook lunch for my dad and his employees on a daily basis in this like makeshift kitchen she made herself in the back. (laughs) Yeah, with like propane tanks and grills and stuff. My mom always wanted to move back here, like after living in Portland for a while. And so I felt it was it was a big reason why I came back home. It was for her. Like After she passed away, it was like, I need to go be in her favorite place and heal myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you lost your mom in
1: an accident.
0: So it was a mm-hmm. sudden death and a shock, I'm sure. Oh,
1: it was so shocking. It was three days before I bought the restaurant in Portland, like suddenly. And, you know, like all throughout my life, that's why I believe in spirits and juju and stuff is because nothing – always happens by itself. It's got to be a combo. It's got to be like a one-two or even a three punch, you know? It's like, I couldn't have just, I don't know, been able to grieve. I had to like jump into this restaurant right away. And then it was like, what am I doing? After almost three years of owning this restaurant, it was like two and a half when I closed it. After I, I bought it, it had been open for a total of 11 years i guess and i worked there for most of it and it was heartbreaking when it closed cuz we weren't we weren't necessarily failing we were i was just tap, i was tapped out i was doing everything and i couldn't do it anymore i was physically and mentally unwell i was having like panic attacks all the time chain, lots of chain smoking <laughs> oh man <laughs> don't smoke cigarettes anymore but there was a lot of times where I just wanted to be home here in New Orleans. Like, just being here feels amazing. amazing. Feels different, right? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Just the, the way that you feel in the city is inexplicable. Mm-hmm. A- so
0: tell me about your life now in New Orleans and how
1: you have claimed your place in it. Well, I've been chefing since, I guess, I got back here a month before the pandemic started.
0: So you came specifically for Bywater Brew Pub and to come home.
1: Yeah, well, I I knew I wanted to move home, so I found this job well before I moved home. So I was actually hired um, in the summer of 2019, and I designed the layout of the kitchen. I was involved with those ideas in the build-out stage, and... I got a lot of time at home to recipe test and really hone in on a good opening menu and it was fabulous we we had we were very well received when we opened, and it's just getting busier and busier. Um, it's been fun to be in the Bywater neighborhood especially because there's not really a lot of stuff like that down there.
0: Well, not like what you're yeah. doing. I mean, no <laughs> wonder you're getting such great attention because your food rocks, Thank you know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good. Tell me anything you might want to say about dreaming these things up. How do you come up with these ideas?
1: Oh, gosh. I It almost always is connected with a memory from childhood or a flavor I feel like I can still taste what my mom used to make me like if I tasted it it's like comes right back to me and it's the exact flavor I don't know I can't put my finger on it but I have a lot of vivid taste memories if that makes sense um and I just I I test a lot and I make it over and I make people taste it and we we do it over and over until you know, we think of how to make it better. Yeah. Well, it's, it's
0: absolutely delicious and bravo. You're so young. You have so much of your life ahead of you. Yeah. What are the sorts of things that you dream of?
1: Well, um, I'm actually trying to make some of these things happen sooner than later while I'm still the executive chef at the brewery. Um, I would love to refocus my energies on having smaller private dinners and focusing on more traditional Vietnamese dishes. And I'm looking to do some Vietnamese family-style dinners um, at the brew pub. they will be private ticketed events um, with optional beer pairings, of course, the brewery. These dishes are going to be super rustic. Um, I ate a lot of meat off the bone when I was a kid. So there's gonna be a lot of interactive dishes where you have to eat something off the bone or pick some a shell up or, you know, pick your herbs into your food. It's that's what I remember about my family dinners is we weren't just sitting there eating eating with a utensil. It was like very much reaching over each other and asking people to pass stuff, putting sauce in someone else's bowl because they can't reach it or, you know, it was just um, very a thing that you were doing, not just not just the time. So I felt like it, it connected us a little bit, you know. Americans always tell their children not to play with their
0: food, and right. isn't that wrong? It's
1: so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to play with your food? You don't always like it. (laughs) So you got to just, you know, give it a little touch, a little of your own touch. Well, your own touch
0: is something very special on a plate. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thanks for coming to talk with us on Louisiana Eats.
1: Thank you, Poppy.
0: It was wonderful. That was New Orleans chef Anne Lou of Bywater Brew Pub. Coming up next, we meet Vishwish Bot, author of I Am From Here. Though he spent most of his life in Oxford, Mississippi, the James Beard Award-winning chef grew up in Western India. He shares stories of his childhood and career when Louisiana Eats returns after the break. i Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets, tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, beans done right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Do your red beans cook up so creamy because they're cooked in grandma's bean pot? Or is it her wooden spoon that makes them so special? Camellia Brand wants to honor your family's culinary keepsakes during their upcoming centennial. Share your treasures by emailing images and stories to me at poppy at poppytooker.com. And we'll make sure you're part of the celebration.
3: My name is Vishwesh Pat. I am the chef at Snack Bar in Oxford, Mississippi. My new book is I Am From Here.
0: Vishwish Bhatt was born in the Indian state of Gujarat, where he spent his early years surrounded by family and flavors that had been savored for generations. When Vish was 18, his father accepted a teaching job at UT Austin, and the family moved to America. After receiving an undergraduate degree from the University of Kentucky, Vish followed his family to Oxford, Mississippi, where his dad was teaching physics at Ole Miss, and his mom was creating a sensation with her Tolly lunches at the Harvest Cafe, where Vish discovered his love of cooking eclipsed his interest in graduate school. Providentially, John Curran's had just opened City Grocery, a place that truly put Oxford, Mississippi on the world's culinary radar. Frequently dining at that new hot spot, Vish's passion for food was truly ignited. He struck up a friendship with John Curran's that would eventually lead to a business partnership. After several years together at City Grocery, Fish and Currents opened snack bar in Oxford, Mississippi, in 2009. In 2019, the James Beard Foundation recognized Fish's groundbreaking work there by naming him Best Chef of the South. His latest accomplishment is a fascinating new cookbook, where he illustrates the crossroads of Southern cuisine and the Indian foods of his childhood. Fish. I love the name of your book. I am from here. What exactly does that mean to you? I am from here. You are from the south? You are from India? You are from where?
3: I'm from here. I'm I'm from the south. I am from Oxford, Mississippi. Um you are, you know, uh you are allowed to claim a place as your own if if uh, you are willing to to be a part of that society and do the work.
0: Tell us a little bit about Snack Bar and what you do there.
3: So I'm I'm the chef at Snack Bar. Uh, I opened Snack Bar with John Currents, uh, who your listeners will probably be familiar with, uh, a New Orleans guy that uh, moved to Oxford, Mississippi, opened City Grocery. I went to work for him uh, many years ago and. Uh, we had always talked about opening a neighborhood brasserie um like they have in, in New Orleans, lots of little you know, sort of French influenced uh restaurant. And so when the space became available we opened Snack Bar, that was in two thousand and nine. Uh, initially it was very much a sort of French Creole southern restaurant.
0: How uh, did it morph?
3: Uh I think gradually, I mean it, it morphed because I started cooking uh, more freely, more from my heart. Uh, things that I, you know, I had always thought maybe I don't want to serve in restaurants. I started serving in, in at the restaurant, and uh, folks really enjoyed it, and, and the rest, they say, is history.
0: Well, you're doing, in essence, sort of a fusion thing. Describe the food at Snack Bar that won you that coveted James Beard
3: Award. Sure. I, I don't know if I... I necessarily would, you know, I think of it as fusion. I just think of it as uh, my take on Southern food. I I was born and raised in India, but I've lived in the South. I learned how to cook in the South. And so I cook Southern food. uh, But the influences of my childhood and and of, you know, uh, my family's cooking are are very much alive and and they show up uh, in, in the way I flavor things.
0: India is a vast place, as is its cuisine. So, where did you grow up there? And tell me a little bit about your growing up and how you came to America.
3: Sure. So, I, I grew up in a in a town called Ahmedabad, which is uh, in the state of Gujarat on in, in Western India. Um, my dad uh, was now retired, but was a scientist. My mom was a homemaker, uh, and we lived in the city where. Uh, all universities and and schools and colleges and all that fun stuff was. So growing up, my aunts and uncles who were younger than my parents, they were in college, uh, and they were, you know, of course in in the town where the university was, and so therefore they would show up um, to our house very often, and you know, as as college kids will often do, they would bring friends with them uh, who were in dorms and whatnot, and so my mother was always cooking for a crowd. So that's the house I grew up in, um, and because I was the youngest at the time, I would be getting in her way, and to so keep me occupied and, and, and busy, she would give me little tasks, things like go peel a potato or, you know, here measure out some rice or, you know, just uh, here, you know, shell some peas or something uh, that would keep me near her but away from the tasks she had to do.
0: So there in your mother's kitchen is where you found your love of food.
3: Yes. I, well, I always loved to eat. And so what I figured out very quickly doing this task uh, was the quicker I did them, the quicker I got to eat. And so so I I, I got better and better, or at least faster, uh, Not maybe not very thorough, but I would try to do everything she asked me to do very fast and ask for something else, thinking, if we get this done, then I get to eat.
0: So. <laughs> well— we all, I'm sure, have some teenage rebellion, but your teenage rebellion involved chicken.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a, I mean, it's a funny. So I grew up in a vegetarian family, and uh, you know, um, and they are still vegetarian, but there was never this restriction that you know we couldn't eat stuff. It was just not going to be made at home. Um, and like me, there were a few other friends. Maybe there were three or four of us who had grown up similarly, and we all thought, mm, you know, we should go eat some meat sometime. So we had a friend whose family had a restaurant and they served really good, uh, as they call in India, non-veg food. Um, and they were famous for their, uh, chicken. And so we decided to sneak in there and, and eat chicken. Unfortunately, my friend's mother had caught on to us and, you know, uh, she did, you know, uh, make the chicken for us, um. of course, I couldn't bring myself to eat it. I ate, sort of ate around it and ate the sauce, and um, I chickened out <laughs> 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 when it came to eating that chicken the first time.
0: <laughs> and she kind of let your mom in on it anyway, Of huh? course,
3: yeah, because, you know, I mean, the kids, we had all planned to, you know, we were going to go to a movie and be late, and so she's like, well, you guys have come here. You just stay at our house and, you know, and, and let our mothers know that we were all fine. So,
0: so then you come to the United States, and in the period when you all were living in Texas, your mom is doing this um, cultural sort of mishmash of right. taking refried beans or being inspired by that. Talk to me about how you learned about American food at the hands of your mother and that sort of
3: thing. Oh uh, Yeah. So, I mean, she was always— an adventurous cook. You know, uh, while she was very good at cooking Gujarati food, uh, she had cookbooks and she would cook other vegetarian food. Um, And, you know, she enjoyed uh, trying new things. Uh, And Texas was no exception. So when we were there, you know, we discovered refried beans and tacos and and, and things like that. So uh, she would make those. I mean, she would make uh, you know what has now become known as Kashmiras tacos, where she would make a big pot of black eye peas or chickpeas cooked uh like refried beans, but vegetarian with with lots of cumin and, and chili and uh, garlic and onion, smash them up a little bit, and that would be our base and then she would have lots of different uh, you know chopped onions and radishes and cilantro and you know all sorts of accoutrements and some cheese sometimes. Uh, that then we would put in tacos and eat them. Uh, so that was one of the dishes. Of course, you know uh, things like soups uh, with, with, with more brothy soups with jalapenos and and avocado and stuff like that, which uh, was not something that uh, we had grown up with. But these were things that were available, and she was very happy to try them and always, you know, interested in, in trying out new things.
0: Well, Vish, I have to tell you. It did blow me away the similarities that exist in ingredients and so much more mm-hmm. when we are to compare the food of India and the food of the South.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing, right? I mean, uh, food travels, right? Uh, people travel, uh, and, and they take things with them. And, and you know, we, we keep forgetting that, uh, you know, before – uh, America was America, a place where everybody wanted to come. Uh, India was that place. It was it was a big, diverse country with uh, you know booming economy, and it, that's where people wanted to go. You know, traders and merchants, and and they came uh, and they brought stuff. Yeah. So,
0: so I have to say, I thought it was pretty hilarious yeah. that you had a very hard time accepting the fact. That okra wasn't indigenous to India.
3: It, I did. It was. It was. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was because I had grown up with it. It was everywhere, right? And so, I always assumed that it must have been an Indian thing because I knew that tomatoes and potatoes and chilies had come from the West, but there was no mention of okra in that. And so, I figured that must have just been ours. You know, not knowing until I was well into my thirties that okra actually came from Africa. Uh, and I had a Senegalese friend uh, who I got into an argument with about oh. it until he set me straight and you know like no 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 let's let's you know do the research here I'll you know but you know it, it, was, it was a great way to learn something and that goes to show you that you know there's you can learn uh, at any age and out of that came new recipes for me so
0: well fish. You know your mother gets so much credit for who you are and what you do and I'm sure it is heartbreaking that she passed away way too early in your life. She she you lost your mom in 2008 which was shortly before Snack Bar mm-hmm. opened. Yeah. It was long before your James Beard award and yes. your book. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you honor and remember your mother your mother's role in who and what you are today sure
3: I mean by the work I do I mean you know it's i mean she's a part of pretty much everything I do right i mean I, I learned a lot from her um, so it's 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 a daily it's a daily work um, one thing that she really really enjoyed was cooking and sharing food. Um, and then that bringing people together, well, she had so much fun doing that. So I continued do, to do that because they were also really good times for me. So it it uh, it is almost automatic now that that I would do that. Um, and to speak of speaking of mothers, there's another lady uh, who was from New Orleans. I would like to uh, say something about uh, if I if I could, Becky Curran's John's mother, uh, who. Yeah who adopted me uh, at a very, very early uh, time in my career at, at City Grocery and sort of uh, would always look after me and always send me, uh, you know, little encouraging notes. And, you know, if she saw something uh, in the paper about me, then there would be a clipping in the mail, you know, phone calls. Uh, once once Teresa and I got married, you know, if we were ever coming to New Orleans, uh, uh, Becky, you know, wanted to make sure that uh, we were either staying with them or at least... Uh, you know, having dinner with them one night. So, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate to, You know, almost have have two mothers uh, here and, and that have been very sort of instrumental in, in making me feel at home and make me feel like I'm from here.
0: Vish, this has been such a wonderful visit. Thank you for your beautiful new book, I Am From Here. And thanks for being here with us today.
3: Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was an honor.
0: That was Dishwish Bot, chef owner of Snack Bar in Oxford, Mississippi, and author of I Am From Here. SukiBon is the name of Jacqueline Blanchard's latest venture. What does Sukiban mean? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. i Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, breadings, boils, new air fry mixes, and more classic Louisiana dishes available everywhere. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor and from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, located 40 minutes north of New Orleans' French Quarter along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. The delicious Tammany-taste culinary scene and abundance of soft adventure attractions are among the many reasons to love the North Shore's charming communities. Fall on Louisiana's North Shore brings outdoor festivals and lots of holiday events. Find details on upcoming events, itinerary suggestions, and more at louisiananorthshore.com. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What does the Japanese word Sukiban mean? Sukiban roughly translates as girl boss or delinquent girl. Sukiban is what they called girl gang leaders in Japan back in the 1970s and 80s. In her nola.com article about Jackie Blanchard's new restaurant, food writer Beth Adano says "badass" is a fine equivalent and describes Blanchard's skills to a T. Let's hear more about what our friend Jackie's up to at SukiBon.
4: My name is Jacqueline Blanchard. I am the executive chef and owner of Sukiban, as well as owner of Coutillier on Oak Street, Uptown, New Orleans. Despite its French name,
0: Jackie Blanchard's knife shop, Coutillier, imports most of its high-end cutlery from Japan. During her many trips across the Pacific to meet with Japanese knife makers, Jackie fell in love with traditional izukayas. These casual Japanese bars offer simple, elegant dishes to pair with your sake or Sapporo. Inspired, Chef Jackie, whose resume includes stints in some of the top kitchens in the country, set out on her first solo restaurant venture, launching Sukiban in 2022. So how did this Cajun girl raised on Bayou Lafouche end up crossing the world to open a Japanese izukaya in New Orleans? Jackie tells us her story.
4: I think that, you know, Japanese cuisine to me now has become such a huge part of my, my life, my soul, and, and representing it with respect is all I ever want to do. The journey that led me there, um, you know, was kind of long and arduous, but it definitely um, turned me into, you know, this version of me that loves and represents and respects this cuisine and this culture and this country that is so deeply rooted in history. So... You know, I grew up in Pankerville, Louisiana, um, between Pankerville and Napoleonville, um, in Assumption Parish along Bayou Lafouche. My mom's side uh, is from Pankerville, my dad's side is from Napoleonville, so always been on the bayou. Um, went to Nickel State, um, the most amazing culinary program kind of underseen in America. It's, it's really a beautiful program. So, you know, I... I graduated college culinary school right after Katrina and that took me right to California um, to Napa Valley to work for Thomas Keller there was a lot of technique involved um, rooted in not just French cuisine but also Japanese technique when I got to the French laundry when I've you know gone to Blue Hill a lot of these places I've worked um, have had that level of Japanese technique because it is so dialed in and it is so diligent um, so, you know, you need that sort of diligence and your technique when you're working in you know, these caliber of Michelin star restaurants. So, you know, I, I met a lot of people who, you know, instilled a lot of those techniques in me, even outside of the restaurant itself, um, just, you know, becoming friends. And then my travels took me to all over Asia. I spent a lot of time traveling Southeast Asia, um, which in turn led me to Japan because I had a friend I met actually when she staged um, at Restaurant August here years ago. I had never been to Japan at that point. So she, you know, invited me anytime I was traveling that way to, you know, please stop through Tokyo. I'm moving back. Uh, so I ended up in Tokyo hanging out with her and staying with her and her family. And, you know, she has this beautiful restaurant, uh, this tiny little cafe called Mike in Tokyo, and she cooks vegan food. And so she really opened my eyes to a lot more of the technique and a lot more of the spectrum of what was available in that, and that really put me on a path to falling in love with Japanese food. And at that point, I was not in the knife business. You know, this was me traveling. I was still cooking professionally. Um, I had, you know, kind of gone down to Singapore and back and ended up in Japan and really fell in love with everything um, food-wise, um, did the tuna auction at the Tsukiji market, you know, saw these guys breaking down these huge, you know, 300-pound tuna, um, and exposing myself to that I think was what kind of lit me on fire for, you know, sort of like where I am now with my love of that country, that culture, that cuisine, the technique. I think a lot of um, the decisions that were made to open the Knife Shop after that trip were were certainly like paramount to that experience. We opened Cotillier in 2015, it was August 2015. Um, And I think that when I started Cotillier, I always approached it the way a chef would approach sourcing their ingredients like you would from a farmer or fisherman. Um, and traveling to Japan and creating those relationships and those those deep bonds and connections that you get with these families you know who are generations old you know craftsmen making these beautiful knives and tools uh, for chefs to use and I feel like it's you know people think sometimes we go on these trips to Japan it's just like vacation and we're kind of hanging out, and 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 we're 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 not we're you know we're on this like very serious schedule, and we're you know we are seeing how these knives are made. We're we're going to these izakayas, and we're trying this different food. And I think you know as many times as I've traveled there over the last decade, um, you feel like. You know, you've kind of inching your way in, but Japan's kind of got this like membrane between you, between the foreign world and it, and it's like this membrane. You can just like poke your finger and keep pushing through. You'll never penetrate it, um, as long as you know you you try and you you travel there and you you learn the language as much as possible and you have these amazing relationships with these families who now are almost part of your family. You know, we get invited to um, to have you know dinner. We stay in their homes. Um, It's this beautiful, beautiful relationship that we've built over the last 10 years. And, you know, to have that, you know, sort of experience is just, it's it's hard to describe sometimes. The places we've been, all around Japan. Japan is so different, and you know, it's you know, geographical locations. You know, um, the people from Osaka, I think, are more akin to people from New Orleans because they're a little bit more jovial, and they they work hard during the day and they play hard at night. You know, Tokyo is a little more of that, like a East Coast New York vibe. Like it, you know, everything's a little bit different. So it's really cool to see that difference. And what it's represented in its food and its, you know, food ways and its culture, like, all around that country. So, you know, you try to take a little bit of each experience and bring that back. I think that, for me, I always had a part of me that wanted my own restaurant. Um, and I knew that when I kind of took a break to open Catelier, I think that... I always had this like, you know, little gnat in the back of my ear. You know, one day you're going to open a restaurant. It doesn't have to be right now. It could be when you're 40. It could be later. Who's to say? So as well as it has gone the last seven years, um, it kind of gave me time to iron out what I wanted to do and the approach I wanted to take to that. And I think that I've been through enough restaurants and I've seen restaurants succeed and I've seen them fail and I've seen the reasons why they succeed and fail and I've taken you know these incredible notes and um, over the years that have you know kind of shaped the direction I wanted to take so I think it became about how can I do this and still have this quality of life and I wanted to do something very small scale I don't want something big I wanted a small approachable sort of scene izakaya at its core it literally translates uh, to like stay drink place so it can be anything you know I think there was a lot of that in the beginning or like is this an izakaya or is this a sushi restaurant it's really kind of like a modernized izakaya I mean at its core it's a bar where you're sitting down and you're ordering drinks and you're 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 eating food so that's it you know when I go to Osaka and I hang out with my buddy my knife buddies they're taking us out izakaya hopping all night long And you're going from one to the next to the next. Because an izakaya has a million iterations. You know, I think some people think, oh, an izakaya has to have yakitori. An izakaya can serve whatever food it wants. An izakaya is just a place where you go and sit down and you have some drinks and you have some bites and then you kind of move on. Or if you want to stay for three hours, you can stay for three hours. You want to stay for 30 minutes and grab a quick bite and head out. You can do that, too. You know, and I think that's the beauty of an izankaya at its core. Um, And it it can be a million different iterations. We're just one of them. Right now, we have 16 seats, and we have one table. So it's, you know, it's pretty small. And, you know, we do focus on one particular thing, and that's tamaki rolls, which... You know, there's a lot of sushi restaurants in New Orleans. There's just not a lot of focus on that particular style of sushi. And for me, it's always been about rice and fish. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I always correlate back to South Louisiana culture is our connection of rice, seafood, our drinking culture, which is exactly what I feel with Japan. And I think a lot of people don't really think of it that way. Like, you, you have these two foreign, very foreign entities. You have Japan. You have Cajun culture of South Louisiana. And so I think that, you know, in the simplicity of what we do, we do feature, you know, South Louisiana seafood, you know, and that's a huge part of what we do. And you know, the, even the potato salad we have, this, you know, it's one of the most popular menu items. Potato salad. We have potato salad culture here. Everybody's mama has a potato salad recipe. Um, some eat it with gumbos, Some eat it on the side. In Japan, when you go to an izakaya there's always a potato salad on the menu, which I think was so cool. And I was, you know, kind of floored by that the first time I experienced it. But then I started seeing it everywhere I went in Japan. Um, So little things like that, those types of, um, you know, food references sort of kind of resonated back into the type of food I wanted to do. Um, I grew up on rice, you know, just like a lot of us did in South Louisiana. So for me, it was about the rice and the seafood. And I think that is the main focus of what we do in a way and we don't make a fuss about things, we don't have a lot of sauces, we don't have you know the mangoes and the the spicy mayos and all that kind of stuff. We let our ingredients speak for itself. You know it is this level of simplicity but but high hyper focus. I think the most beautiful thing about Japanese food and approach to the technique is it's simplicity, because it really has nothing to hide behind. It's all about the ingredient. My connections through Japan allowed me to be able to source certain ingredients for Sukiban that um, otherwise would have been unattainable in a lot of ways. I think I'm trying to do some, something a little bit more you know, of our style in South Louisiana, but I'm really trying to stay true to the traditional methods in which a lot of these items are, are made. You know, the way the fish is cut, the way the rice is cooked, uh, the diligence to the preparation. These are all very, you know, traditional Japanese techniques. So there is that in within it. Um, but I'm certainly trying to, like, put my stamp on it. I've definitely had a lot of, uh, you know, Japanese clientele come in and, and, and give me the thumbs up, which <laughs> is is, you know... All I want to do is is make sure that I'm sticking true to the diligence and respect of that culture in its, like, most infinite way.
0: Jackie Blanchard of Coutillier and Bon in New Orleans. it for this week's edition of louisiana eats edible content for louisiana food lovers catch up on previous editions of louisiana eats on poppytooker.com where we have over a decade of louisiana eats available for pod and webcasting along with recipes and cooking class videos too don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, and the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission. And from D'Agostino Pasta. Handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlow and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris, producer Blake Longlinay, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mullidoo. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.